Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the new trade deal arises as Justin Trudeau and Donald Trump meet at the NATO summit. We actually have a very good relationship, and a good relationship in terms of our countries. We're working on the USMCA. We're trying to get Nancy Pelosi to put it up for a vote. You know, if it gets put up for a vote, it passes. The Prime Minister highlights Canada's NATO contributions. We're increasing our defense investments by 70% uh, over these 10 years because we know that uh, making sure that everyone is there uh, to step up and deliver is really important. And the Conservative Caucus meets today, ahead of Parliament resuming tomorrow. Our Conservative Caucus will be ready. That's why our Conservative team continues to stand ready to do the job Canadians are counting on us to do. It's Wednesday, December 4th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by author and op-ed columnist for the Chronicle Herald, Dan Legere. Good morning, Dan. Hi, Mark. So there were certainly lots of fascinating dynamics on display as world leaders gathered at the NATO summit. There was that news conference with Emmanuel Macron, the president of France, and Donald Trump. Uh, Justin Trudeau and Donald Trump met and talked about it afterwards. Uh, It it was interesting to see all those people in the same place and without the historic sort of demonstrations of unity, no matter what was going on behind closed doors, leaders tended to always put on a brave face and display unity when they stepped out. That's, That's not there in the Trump era. But one thing on which Justin Trudeau and Donald Trump still agree is the need for this North American trade deal, right? Yeah, and every summit, um, even the ones in the current day, uh, you know, has a long lead up to it in which the so-called Sherpas, you know, the public servants uh, and diplomats who work behind the scenes, get everything set up for the leaders so the leaders can have a nice photo op and shake hands and say nice things about each other and um, and then have a communique at the end in which they all agree. And, and it's extremely important for NATO to present a unified face to um, foes and opponents like uh, the Russians or the Chinese. The, any you know cracks in the NATO foundation or in the or in the edifice of NATO um, are weaknesses that can be exploited by others who may wish harm to members of the alliance. But NATO itself actually has some serious ingrained problems right now. I mean, number one is Trump, who doesn't really believe in NATO and, and doesn't really understand uh, the whole notion of collective security. And, of course, you have other major problems like the situation with Turkey, which is at odds with NATO on a bunch of different uh, levels. And it's going to take some very brilliant diplomacy to keep it all together, which is not going to happen in the era of Trump. So every summit that he attends ends up turning into some kind of crazy fiasco or circus. you know, NATO summits are rigidly controlled, so not so bad this time, but it's it's always careening along close to disaster when Trump's involved. Yeah, did we learn anything, though, about the state of the free trade agreement? Because there are multiple tracks on which this is playing out, obviously. Christia Freeland was in Washington last week. The, the Democrats in Congress, of course, have a big role to play in this. It's not just about the Trump administration. Uh, so were there any clues that arose from what Trump and Trudeau were saying yesterday? Well, I think there's, you know, they certainly, as you said, share a common desire to get this thing done. I mean, let's face it, uh, for both leaders, uh, their list of accomplishments in office, uh, you know, is pretty short. Um, Trump has got nothing done, basically, in three years. 
if you don't count things like wrecking treaties or withdrawing from this or starting fights with, you know, name a list of opponents. Uh, and Trudeau's, you know, had a four-year of strong majority government in which, you know, did a lot to get accomplished. And many people, including me, don't think they got much done given the strength of the mandate they have. So this sorting out the trade uncertainty, which is vitally important for the economies all across the continent, um, this is something that politically they also need to point to as an accomplishment. So it's been a, a frustrating uh, denial, shall we say, of of, uh, of closure on this. And while they seem fairly close to getting it sorted, there are still gaps and the U.S. Congress is uh, is still not on side. Uh, so it, there's many, many imponderables left about the new trade agreement in North America. Yeah, and with uh, somewhat of a deadline looming, since uh, we're heading into an election year in the United States, feels like it's already been an election year, but but uh, there's only a month left in 2019, and, and soon it'll be about nothing but presidential politics in 2020. Yeah, and... Uh, also congressional politics and, and Congress is where a lot of the holdups are, are taking place. Uh, Congress right now is preoccupied with the impeachment process of Trump and uh, in order to get enough sort of nonpartisan agreement to get anything done, I mean, just seems far-fetched right now. And I, I'm very skeptical the Americans will ever ratify this USMCA and, and we'll just carry on with the old NAFTA the way it is, unless somehow Trump manages to figure out a way to terminate that, too. All right, let's talk about Canada's relationship with NATO, exclusive of Donald Trump to some extent. Uh, they're, they're, uh, Trump did sort of chide Canada a little bit yesterday about its contributions with regard to defense spending. That's always been, uh, it's not just Donald Trump that's brought that up in the past. Of course, Barack Obama did in his final speech to Parliament before he left the White House. Uh, so Justin Trudeau yesterday talked, uh, you know, in, in broad terms about Canada's commitment to NATO, but where do we stand with regard regard to this 70-year-old international organization? Well, Canada, you know, still stands four square with NATO on virtually every possible uh, aspect of it. I mean, you know, there's two things going on here, Mark. I mean, one of them is that Canada, as much as any other country in the world, understands the value of collective security, that we can't go patrolling every inch of North the North Atlantic or, or the Arctic or, or the European borders on our own. Um, so we have to take part with other countries and other like-minded uh, allies. And that is what Canada's done virtually for the last hundred years, found allies, uh, you know, within the British sphere in the early part, but, you know, also with the Europeans since the end of the Second World War. It's worked well for Canadian security. Canada has a 600-man um, contingent in Latvia now and has for a year or two, um, which is there to discourage Russian uh, adventurism in the Baltics the way they've taken advantage of Ukraine. So, you know, this is something Canada's deeply committed to, but every Canadian prime minister, not just liberals, not just, you know, not just Trudeau, but every prime minister has to deal with the fact that there are competing pressures for spending from, from Ottawa. And uh, suddenly deciding to spend billions of dollars more on defense is just not on because that is not a national priority of Canadians. They're not calling their MPs and demanding they spend more money on the Army. When they do, more money will be spent. That's how politics works. 
All right, uh, let's turn to uh, domestic politics. And today, Andrew Scheer, the conservative leader, will be hosting a caucus meeting in Ottawa uh, in advance of the resumption of Parliament tomorrow, of course. We have the, the election of a speaker coming and the throne speech as well. And I think there are going to be a lot of questions asked about Andrew Scheer's future today, of Andrew Scheer and of his team in, in Parliament, the members of Parliament who will be at the caucus meeting. Uh, doesn't matter what they want to talk about to the media. I'm sure most of the focus will be on the future of of his leadership. Yes, of course. And I, I don't think the caucus is really where it's all happening. Uh, I know some of Shear's loyalists are pointing out the fact that the caucus is, you know, on paper, at least or publicly, uh, seems almost unanimously supportive of Andrew Scheer. Uh, but it's outside that caucus. And the caucus is, what, a, a tenth of 1% of the total party, party membership? I mean, it's obviously an extremely influential part of the membership. But this goes beyond the caucus and uh, the rank and file and the funders and the donors. You know, it, it's uh, reports out of the UCP meeting that Sheer attended the other day in uh, in uh, in Alberta were not great. Uh, so, you know, maybe Parliament is the resumption of Parliament will give Sheer the stage that he needs to reassert himself and to uh, establish himself more firmly as the leader and the leader of the opposition. He has a powerful voice in Parliament by definition, uh, so perhaps this will be helpful to his longer-term goals. But he's still got a long way to go, I think, in the public's perception, uh, no, you know, uh, no matter what his own supporters and loyalists say. Yeah, and at this point, uh, what's your assessment of his chances of, first of all, making it to the convention in April, and uh, given that there are people calling for him to resign immediately, uh, and then what his chances would look like in a leadership review in at the Conservative Convention in Toronto? Yeah, I personally believe Sheer will hold on until then, uh, because, I mean, why, why quit now and, and bow to your opponents? Um, it's only a few months. That's months that he can spend working to rebuild the party, rebuild his support within the party, I should say, and uh, because the party is still in a strong position. You know, it's got hundreds of thousands of members and uh, lots of money, and, uh, you know, it wants to be ready for the next election. But that's not going to happen next month or, or this year. So Sheer, I think, has time uh, to try to, you know, re- rebuild support within the party, uh, but uh, then if the vote comes down and it's not supportive of him, that's when the crunch date will happen. Uh, you know, what is the magic number? Is it 50% plus one or is it 60%, 70%, So th- these are the things that uh, are still imponderable. And plus, the people who want Shear out have not presented any alternative. I mean, are they going to revive Ronna Ambrose? I mean, she was an excellent interim leader. Uh, but, you know, I don't know that they've presented the alternative that would sway very many members to to take the plunge now and not give Sheer at least a few more months to work on things and try to uh, win back the skeptics. And speaking of Ron Ambrose, what about the rumor that she might be the next Canadian ambassador to the United States? Well, I think that's that's an excellent rumor that was started by a columnist in the Globe and Mail. Uh, I mean, it's probably much more likely that Trudeau will appoint someone who's he has more, uh, shall we say, political uh, affinity with, i.e. somebody from the, the progressive or left or center part. But Ron Ambrose is a centralist uh, conservative, um, a very capable person. She understands the U.S. Republicans, and, uh, you know, I, I think she'd be a, a, an amazing uh, ambassador in the U.S. and also would remove 
somebody from the Canadian political mix who, if she were leader of the Conservative Party, I think, would pose a, a real threat to Justin Trudeau. So uh, it is very convenient, but I, I don't know if it's a rumor or if just uh, a columnist had to make <laughs> deadline. Uh, at being one myself, I know how that happens. Yeah, of course. <laughs> All right, good stuff, Dan. Thank you for joining us today. Okay, Mark, thanks for the call. That's Dan Legere, author and op-ed columnist for the Chronicle Herald. This is a top priority no matter which province you live in. I think Canadians want to see the federal government more involved in the delivery of health care. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Toronto Star, Thomas Wacom argues, an equitable pharmacare deal will require Justin Trudeau to strike an agreement with wary premiers. Wacom writes, the premiers are not necessarily opposed to pharmacare, but they don't want to be hosed again, as many feel they were with Medicare. It was sold to the provinces as a program in which Ottawa would pick up half the costs, but by the late 70s, the federal government had changed its mind. That's why the premiers insist that any national pharmacare scheme must have adequate and sustained federal funding. We'll wait now to find out what the federal government has to say. At McLean's, Dennis Matthews offers the Conservative Party a lesson on branding. Matthews writes, There's no doubt the Conservative Party is an established brand, but it has become frozen in the first decade of the 2000s. The most successful brands insert themselves into culture without turning away existing audiences. The moment is right for Conservatives to renew the brand in a way that feels welcoming to a broader audience. And it's possible to do this while holding on to deeply held Conservative principles. In the Globe and Mail, Lawrence Martin argues, Ron Ambrose is the right choice for Washington ambassador. Martin writes, If, as reported, Justin Trudeau is considering Ambrose for the post... What an intriguing and inspired choice she would be. In an era of venomous political polarization, this would be a splendid show of bipartisanship. She would become the first female to hold the post. And she would work with Christia Freeland, who runs the U.S. file. It would be a combination that could do Canadians proud in charting relations with the deviant White House. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. As we've discussed, Conservative leader Andrew Scheer will hold a meeting of his caucus today. And as CPAC's Martin Stringer reports, it's a gathering that may attract a little more than the typical amount of attention. Mark, holding a weekly caucus meeting is a return to normal for the federal political parties. And so the Conservatives returning to the tradition of Wednesday caucus meetings on Parliament Hill, where the return of Parliament wouldn't be out of the ordinary. But these are not ordinary times for Conservative leader Andrew Scheer. After the election where he failed to secure victory and awaiting next April's Conservative Convention where he will face a leadership vote, every gesture, every moment, every event the Conservative leader is associated with is being scrutinized. For the past two weeks, the number of Conservatives openly calling for him to step down before April has continued to grow. And last Friday, the first caucus member, the first MP, to openly express doubts about his leadership, former Minister Ed Fast, spoke out. So you can expect an intense gathering as the Conservative brass has invited media cameras into the beginning of today's caucus meeting to hear opening remarks from the leader at 1.15pm Eastern Time and an even more intense scrum as the caucus members come out after their meeting. Thanks, Martin. Also today, in Ottawa, Crown Indigenous Relations Minister Carolyn Bennett will speak at the Assembly of First Nations Special Chiefs Assembly. The federal, provincial, and territorial ministers responsible for the status of women are holding their annual meeting in Victoria, B.C. 
Innovation Minister Navdeep Baines will take part in the announcement of a new Bombardier facility in Mississauga, Ontario. The three federal Green MPs will hold a news conference in Ottawa, and the Bloc Québécois Caucus will also meet in Ottawa. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, December 4th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.